when you're down and trouble and you need some love and care and nothing what nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be I'm CJ Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studio, home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show is regularly scheduled at the same time each week. PBA Hall of Famer Len Nicholson started the show in 2002. Since then, he's recorded over 1,100 shows featuring over 400 different guests, a literal who's who in bowling. So, Phantom fans, let's welcome our host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company, the number one lane maintenance company in the world for all of your lane maintenance needs, including 24-hour technical support. You can always rely on the Kegel Company. So, go to kegel.net. Well, Phantom fans, a while ago, we went back into the archives and played a show from the past featuring Ray Bluth. And listeners sent me scores of messages saying that they loved the old show. Well, with that in mind, later we did it again with an old show that the great Dick Weber did with us back in the day. And again, the response was overwhelming. Well, we decided to stick with a winner, and a few weeks later, we played an old show with our good friend, Carmen Salvino, and again, we hit a home run. Well, sticking with a proven winner, we found that the old show that we did with Glenn, Mr. 900 Allison years ago was another winner. Well, this week, we're at it again. This week's show is from way back in 2007. And we found the show that we did with Billy Hardwick. And we started out by wishing him a happy birthday and talking about being best of friends for over 50 years. And I said that, it's very hard to believe. Enjoy. Oh, it really is hard to believe. And I've known you 50 of those years, going to, you know, when you say high school, well, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but in reality, it certainly was. Oh, man. Uh, I'll tell you, you said it a, a while back that every minute is like a second and every month is like a day. And it's the truth. The years turn into months. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's like I got this from being on tour. I really don't say goodbye to anybody anymore. If I see him in six months, it seems like it was just last week. It just really goes by that much. All right, Pards. Well, I guess the first thing I want to talk to you about is, is last month's Bowler's Journal with your picture on the cover, and I thought that story was great. What prompted you to put on a tuxedo and walk onto the ocean like that? Was that Dressel's idea? or just... Actually, it was the photographers. The, the, uh, the paper here in uh, where I live had just done a big story. They did like a 4,000-word story, and they took all the pictures around my house. And when I told the photographer that the magazine called and wanted to do a story, if he had any ideas, and he's the one that said, let's uh, go out to the ocean. We went out to the ocean, and uh, 
I mean, it was great. You know, I got a lot of comments on it. And I just, I think it's one of the best covers they've ever done, not because it was me, just the idea of standing in a tuxedo. I almost fell over one time. It was really, you know, it was exciting and, and it, it was nice. And to see the actual cover really, you know, and, and Jim Dressel really did an excellent job. He just took his time. And it gets to the point, I think he got tired of talking to me because, uh, you know, he said, you know, we can't do a book. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he finally just had to say, okay, that's enough. And I think it's the biggest story they've ever done on anybody. And it was really a... Very flattering and done very, very, very well. You know, it, it was a great story, it, and honestly, it, it left the readers wanting more, even though it was five pages long. And, and Dressel told me that normally they only use about three and a half pages for a feature story, but you had so much to say that he had to use five. <laughs> then he wrote his regular column with another whole page, so... Did, did he cover everything that you wanted to say, or was there anything that you told him that didn't make it into the story? There was there was a lot of things that didn't make it into it. As far as the story, he did a great job, but there was a point where, like, I wanted to apologize to Dressel, I want to apologize to you and to Sam Baca. Uh, during that down period of self-pity, I was, you know, blaming everything on everybody except the person in the mirror, and uh, it just really got to where... You know, I mean, the self that he became my best friend. I was really, what I like what he did the best was he took the, the old time with me and blended with a lot of new guys. He mixed them both together so people could relate because you can't just talk about the old times. The, the good news is I've not bowled in over 30 years and that they would still call me and make a cover was really uh, extremely flattering. That on top of the uh, 50th anniversary party we had in Las Vegas had both my boys there and it's only the fourth time in 35 years both my kids are there. So it's been a, been a great summer so far. Yeah, you know, I want to thank you publicly for that party. It was an awesome get-together, and I know that Barry Asher helped you arrange it, and it was fabulous to see a lot of the guys. And, you know, I haven't seen Eddie since he was a little boy, but yeah, I'll tell you what, both your boys, they, they turned out to be just fine gentlemen. I, I'm sure you're proud of them. Oh, I really am. Yeah, they are good people. They're good. They're, they're very uh, self-motivated people, and... uh <laughs> You know, just like my daughters I've raised, you know, it's nice to be around people that don't have to be told what to do. They know what their dreams and goals are, and, and they just go after them, and that's all you can ask for anyway. You know, speaking of parties, uh, Larry Lickstein, he was on our show last week. He he told about all the parties that you used to throw, and that was one of the main reasons why he used to root for you, because you'd always throw a fabulous party. So uh, I don't know if you had a... I tip good. <laughs> you tip good? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I won, I would give Larry five hundred or thousand dollars, and you know he was always you know rooting for me like crazy because nobody else would. Well, I don't think anybody else would, but he was really you know he'd be standing back there you know just my biggest fan. Yeah. Well, he was saying that uh, he was still mad at you for not beating Holman in '76 because you promised him you'd give him two thousand that week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I trust me. I didn't lose the match, so I wouldn't have to pay Larry. That's not a, that, it didn't work that way. <laughs> so you mentioned you haven't bowled in 30 years. Uh, I know that's competitively, but don't you bowl at all? You don't even throw a ball in, in practice or league or anything anymore? I haven't touched a ball in uh, probably 15 years in any way, shape, or form. In fact, when uh, when Burton was doing the Pro Bowlers tour, he used to have the bowling tips, and I was on it a couple of times. One stipulation, I said I wasn't going to throw a ball, so what he would do is we'd talk about the tip, and then he would actually throw the ball, and I would stand there and uh, just commentate on it. So, uh, no, uh, it's really a, it goes back to my days of uh, 
great athletes sitting on the bench. And, and, you know, my last two tournaments were first and second and after a dry spell in between. And I figure the longer I'm away, the better I was. I want to leave it that way because I could never live up to the expectations uh, that I would expect from myself and the public would expect. So, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I just, just sit back and enjoy. I like being around the game, the people. I love it, but I know that I could never, I couldn't do it, you know. So uh, why, why try? You know, just because you were good once, you know, let's just leave it that way. And and, and the people think that it's it just it's just a nicer feeling when people talk to me because they all think that I could beat this and do this and do that. Well, let them think it. That's good because I know I can't, so I don't have to worry about it. Well, I don't even know if I've ever told you this personally, but I, I want to tell you this now, you know, uh, you talk about great athletes in all sports, and and for years, you know, I was involved in sports, but only on a high school level. And they always talk about the physical game and working on the fundamentals. But you were the really the first guy, and I followed sports all my life to show me what the mental game was all about. You had an unbelievable desire and determination to succeed. And they talk about styles and games and this and that, but. Your mental game was second to none, and, and I want to compliment you on that. And, and I've used some of the things that you did over the years to, when I would uh, help coach bowlers. I, I'd tell them the most important part was a mental game. But do you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. You can look in, uh, I mean, I, you know, even Jim Master, I didn't have a great physical game, and everybody knew that I didn't have a great game, but and they all thought they could beat me, but they couldn't beat me. It was just, it was just another thing. I never could tell you who I bowled on a match. It didn't make any difference. If you really watch all sports, uh, the, the guy that has a chance to shoot the winning basket will pass the ball because he don't want to, he don't want to brick it. There's, you know, there's some people that want the shot and some that don't. And the, the mental thing is not anybody can get yourself physically ready. For anything your body can stand, whether it be baseball, football, basketball, golf, bowling. Uh, idiot the reporter said on a talk show that uh, this last week that golf wasn't a sport. It's just uh, you know it's just uh, an art form. Well, he's crazy. I mean, you know those guys, but you know you get hand-eye coordination, speed, agility, and the mental ability to overcome, and that's the key part of the mental thing to overcome. Just to uh, you know, if, if you look at your opponent, you know he's just as nervous as you are. Use that to your advantage because the What's the object of the game? Knock down ten pins. If you don't knock him down the first ball, get on the second ball. But the mental thing is, and, and every, that's in life. It's in business. It's in, uh, you know, you you were well-renowned in our area for your fisticuffs and things you would get into, but you didn't go in there thinking you were going to lose because if you did, you would have lost. That's just the way it works. You know, the mind the mind is the greatest asset you got. It's just people, unfortunately, just don't don't know how to use it or are afraid to use it. Some people are so afraid of failure, they won't step up for the plate, and that's really a sad thing. I don't know how you learned all that, but, uh, you know, when you were kids growing up, uh, I remember you going down to the bowling alley and practicing 20 games a day. When did this mental game knowledge come about with you? Well, it's, it's really funny. I, I know you won't, the people that know me won't believe this, but growing up, I was the shyest person you, you were ever going to meet. I, I just totally was. And when I met you guys all in high school, and, and, and I'd be the last one picked on the baseball team, the last one picked on the basketball team, because I'd never played sports. And it was a way of fitting in. When they opened the bowling center, I practiced because my main goal was just to beat you guys. Mm-hmm. And I finally, when I got to, the, the, the better I did, the more I was accepted. The more people would talk to me, they would talk first, which allowed me to talk back, which is what I want to do. I could never speak first to anybody. And when I got to where I could beat everybody, I felt like a kingpin, and then, 
This kid, Don Baker, moves down from Birmingham, and he was 20 pins better than me. I said, whoa, time out here. So then I just had to work to get past Don Baker. You know, then Ev Collins moves to town. You got all these people that, you know, and then we get George Stevens and Ed Shuler living in, the, I mean, Shuler's living in his car in a parking lot blowing punt games, and they're, they're dividing us up every night. And it took me a year of losing my paycheck when I got to where I could meet them. They just moved to another bowling center. And then the Fresno Bombers came along. It, it just, it was always a, a way of being accepted is, is, was the thing that got me into it. And, and it just, uh, in fact, all the contracts I ever did, uh, there was a clause I would not do exhibitions because I was just that afraid and shy. And then AMF, they did a thing called Lucky Pin Clinics. It was, uh, we had to do 28 clinics and, I mean, 78 clinics in 28 days all over the country. We'd go to the city for three days and do three clinics a day. And they paired me with a girl named Edie Jo Neal, who was a classy lady, good bowler. We had a prepared speech that Bill Bunetta and Esther Woods and the other AMF staff, Weber, had put together that we were supposed to do. It was a prepared speech that takes 45 minutes. If you do all your words in this speech, it, it's going to take you 45 minutes. And, and uh, we didn't do the exhibitions. We were we lose our contracts. And at the time, like $25,000 a year, which is a lot of money in the 60s and early 70s. So uh, we rehearsed and rehearsed, and we were in Pittsburgh in a little 12-lane center, packed house, and we did that 45 minutes in 12 minutes and never missed a word. We just, <laughs> just rattled because we were just, you know... But then the people started clapping and asking questions, and and we got so comfortable that by the 78th clinic, that 45 minutes took an hour and a half. We started mm-hmm. telling stories, doing things, and it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I just really and nobody nobody believes me that, that yeah I tell them I'm over trying to overcome my shyness, but I really really was. I was just that uh, that insecure. So uh, it really started with just being accepted by you guys, you know, you and uh, all the people we hung around in high school, you know, because you guys were all, everybody, you know, Karcher could shoot a basketball, you were football and uh, baseball. Everybody could do something, and I was just one of the, the one of the guys that tagged along, and I just wanted to have something I could beat you guys at. And, that, and it's, that's really the short version of uh, stepping up to the plate just to, you know, wait a minute, you know, well, this, this guy can't be bad. I, mean, I never said I was better than anybody else. I never thought I was better than anybody else. I still don't, but I just never thought anybody could beat me, and that's just the difference in the attitude. Yeah, that attitude is unbelievable. You're right. We get a lot of advanced publicity about Phantom Radio, so people know who's going to be our upcoming guest. And uh, One of our listeners who knew that you were going to be on sent me a question to ask you. Here it is. It says, Billy, how and why did you start off using the claw grip and tell everybody exactly what that is. Thanks. Well, the claw grip, I didn't start out that way. I, I started out with most people with just a regular uh, conventional bowling ball. And then as I got better and needed to be able to do more to a bowling ball, uh, in junior high school, I had a machine shop accident. Uh, I got caught my hand and my ring finger in a grinder in my right hand that, that split it from the joint all the way to the end of the uh, fingernail. And it won't bend there. I couldn't bowl at all for a while until that, till, till that healed. In fact, actually, it's before I started bowling, but that was something that I had to use. And then this guy named Eddie Nagel, who was our pool hustler at the bowling lanes, he says, have you ever thought about bowling with the first two fingers? And he drove me a ball with the first two fingers. That first two fingers is, you know, you know the, the, the middle and, and index finger, and it's full fingertip. I could bowl so well because uh, Bell Mattel was a track house. I could play anywhere from 8 to 22 with, with these first two fingers. 
In fact, when I won my ABC singles and all events in Oakland, I was playing like 20-second board. Those two fingers, I could just roll the ball anywhere. As the game changed and moved outside, a la Jim St. John, Les Schistler, and those guys, I couldn't go further than the eight board without getting on top of it. And I was in a slump for about a year, year and a half, and uh, we were in uh, El Paso. And I, I kept saying I'm going to switch over and switch over, but I, you've already been player of the year and won you know, 10 or 15 times. It's really tough to make a switch, but it had to be done. So Bill Lillard loaned me uh, one of his bowling balls with a conventional, and uh, I stretched it out and went home, practiced, and uh, won within a month after I started using it. And, and then I played like from 1 to 12 with the middle two fingers, but uh, it was conventional in the uh, – ring finger and full fingertip and the middle finger, but I could get out and play the half board to one board or any other board. So now I had every board in the lane covered that, that to one to 22. And it was really, a, you know, so to be actually bowl of the year with both grips was really, you know, kind of phenomenal. But there was nothing planned. It just, you can't plan this stuff. It just happens according to the situation. And whether you take advantage of it or can commit to it is what the key is. Yeah, you know, a lot of people thought that you just were a gutter shot player, but uh, I remember watching you growing up playing that ball track inside 12 to 15, basically, and uh, you just never missed. It was unreal. Well, I, you know, when I came on tour, and the first time I was player of the year in 63, I never saw the gutter shot until the late 60s, 1968, so I uh, didn't, know, didn't know what was there. So this just shows you when people pick it up, that's what they remember. And it's also... The gutter shot, because you're playing that one board, it's really exciting because, you know, you can get people that can, uh, that all they see is the gutter, and that's where they throw the ball. <laughs> that's about good concentration. That's not an easy thing to do is hit that crack. Burton and I used to kid all the time about we're looking at the crack between, or the splice between two boards. It might be like two and three, hit the splice just past the arrow, and, and you know. But we were serious because that's what we were looking at. Hey, Billy, we used to have a segment on here, and we called it the Phantom Fast quiz, and in fact, uh, we played it with you once before when you were on, and you gave some great answers. And in an attempt to get our listeners to know you a little bit better, I'm going to ask you several quick questions, and I want a one-word or at the most a one-sentence answer. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Give us your favorite nickname of yourself. Bluegrass Billy. Uh, because I lived in Louisville at the time, and that's when I won the Tournament of Champions, and I was there when I completed the Triple Crown, and it's just a catchy name uh, given to me by Byron Schumann. All right. In your day, who was the most underrated bowler that you ever knew? Well, it, it, it's tricky because Bill Lillard, and let me tell you why. Bill Lillard, you know, made the top 20, came in 17th. I know I came in 13th in the top 20 of all time. But Bill Lillard, who won every title there was, because he bowled with Carter and Weber, he was on the same level to me. And, but he was like a member of their team, and, and I just think that uh, his ability, you know, to people just assume because he's with Budweiser, that's why he was so good. But, no, oh, man, he could hold his own against anybody. Uh, he was just uh, my favorite my favorite guy that, that should have been higher up the list. He's definitely top ten all time. Yeah, you know, he's about ten years older than us, I believe, and, and yeah. I understand he still bowls a league. He still bowls league, and he still goes to the ABC. He was 18, 1900. He was about three or four years ago. He was 70-something years ago. shot 2,000. I'm thinking, man, he can still twist it up. And nicest guy you're ever going to meet. By far, Bill Nolan and Ray Bluth are the two nicest, and Don Johnson, the three nicest people I ever met. Yeah, you know, uh, not not to get off the subject of this quick, quick fast quiz, but uh, i got to say this. We've interviewed Bill a couple of times, Bill Lillard, and, and it's like everybody that ever knew him told me what was going to happen, that, he would deflect all the praise that you give to him 
in another direction. What a what a fine gentleman. Yeah, he would he he would never say, "Oh, he's just lucky to be with those guys." But but they were the Budweiser team, you know, the Carter, Weber, Bluth, Tennessee, and Lillard, best of all time. They're they're you know they're the best there is a runner up. That's just I don't care what the scores say. Those guys were just phenomenal, nice and just super classy on and off the lanes. All right, let's get back to this Phantom Fast quiz. I, I knew we couldn't get it fast because me and you talk way too much. But hey, when you when you hear a sport cliche, which one irritates or annoys you the most? None of them. I, I actually like them all. You know, I look forward to hearing them. The, the 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 only word that really bothers me is great because there are very few great at anything. There's some outstanding players. There's some really good players. The word great, you know, that, that's that's Tiger Woods territory. That's Joe Montana territory. You know, that's uh, Dick Weber territory. You know, there, there's not, you know, it might be a great play, but a great career or a outstanding career, there's just a, but, but I like the cliches. They add to the commentary. Okay. If the time came and you were allowed to have one last meal, what would it be? It would be chicken fried chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy. You can get it at Applebee's. My favorite meal. I only eat it once a month because you want it to be too fattening for me. But I just man, fry, just fried chicken. Love it. Just don't eat it that much because it's you know it's not that good for you because it's fried. <laughs> if it's your last meal, go for it, right? <laughs> yeah. What do you got to look forward to after that? What is your favorite sports movie? Hoosiers. Okay. What is your favorite movie? It's a tie between, and this will surprise people, Greece and Chicago. I love musicals. I've seen okay. them both 20 times each. All right. Well, since you said that, I'm going to come up with one last one. What is your favorite song and why? Singing in the Rain. Gene Kelly, in the movie title, Singing in the Rain, because it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's about positive. You know, it's raining, and he's jumping up down and singing, and I'm singing in the rain because you know because I'm happy. You know, just be, you know, life is short. Enjoy it. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't know, have any idea what you were going to say, but uh, you've been one of the most positive people I've ever met, and you've been a great influence on me, buddy. So I just wanted to say that, and uh, I got to tell you, it's unreal. But the old clock on the wall tells me we're just about out of time, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies on this show. And Pards, once again, I want you to know that I really appreciate you being on with us and giving our listeners all the information that you gave us. I uh, really enjoyed talking with you, and thanks again for taking the time to be here with us, Pards. And uh, but you take good care of yourself, Bill. All any time. All right, hang on while I close the show. All right. Well, Phantom fans, that wraps up another show for this week, and I hope that you all enjoyed it. You enjoyed hearing from Mr. Bill Hardwick. Well, Phantom fans, the old clock on the wall does tell us that we're out of time, and I can't believe how quickly the time flies on these shows, and probably why they say it's the fastest show in all of sports, but hope that you all enjoyed enjoyed hearing from Billy Hardwick. We look forward to talking to all of you again next week. We'll have another interesting guest to talk to. In closing, we sincerely want to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling Products and Brad Edelman for their value and continued support of our show. And our newest sponsor, Dave Kowalski, want to thank him. He's involved with Auto Value and Bumper to Bumper auto parts stores. He's also the past president of the Michigan High School Bowling Coaches Association. So for Phantom Radio, this is the Phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing 
Well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon